Welcome back, everybody, to the second part of our Nightmare on Elm Street discussion. Uh, I am the Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me is La Urena. To this episode, part of the episode, we're discussing the queer sequel, uh, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge from 85. Um, tagline is, the man of your dreams is back. Oh, boy. And that has all kinds of meaning when you get start breaking down this movie. The man of your dreams is in your back. <laughs> in more ways than one oh, uh directed by jack shoulder as we've discussed previously who did alone in the dark before this uh written by david chaskin uh who did the screenplay and then based on characters by wes craven music by christopher young made for a budget of three million it made 30 million so still killing still it still respectable yes but how did they like i mean they got a slightly higher budget I wonder if they wanted the budget to be just that, if they were able to just do it in that budget, or if that's like they're like, you're giving this and that's all you fucking get. They got, only got $1.2 million. I, I think they were literally just like, if the first movie can be made for this, we're going to give you slightly more. Yeah. You know, and then do this. And you know? they did it. So, I mean, maybe it didn't kill as hard as the first movie, but still fucking good. <laughs> uh, Mark Patton uh, is. Uh, playing Jesse Walsh, who is our one of our only final boys that we will ever discuss. <laughs> uh, I, you could probably, I mean, we're not going to be discussing this season. You could probably throw Ash in there as a final boy, but yeah, I mean, final um, man. Yeah, Ash would be a final man in that case. But uh, uh, and then Mark was known for uh, is not known for, and there's a reason for this. I mean, he basically quit Hollywood for a good long while and then came back like only in recent years. But uh, he does have listed to his credits Amityville Clown House, a review, reunion from Hell 2, and then One Dead Dog, as you know, some of the movies that he was in. I don't like that title. <clears throat> no, I didn't think that you would. Uh, not at all. Um, of course, we have Robert England back playing Freddie in this one. Um, he is a little bit different in this movie. He doesn't necessarily kill people in their sleep in this one, which is why it's the double entendre with the, the queer sequel comment. He is It's weird because this is the Freddie movie that all of his kills are in the, in the real world. Uh, yeah. Through the use of uh, oh, Jesse, yes. basically. Okay. Uh, Marshall Bell plays Coach Schneider. Uh, he was in the Rum Diary with uh, Johnny Depp. No oh, God. <laughs> Starship Troopers, uh, Stand By Me, and then Total Recall. Uh, Robert Russler plays Ron Grady. Uh, he was in Weird Science, and then sometimes they come back. He was in Weird Science the same year that this movie came out, which was a good year for him, I guess. And Sometimes They Come Back is a really good fucking movie i like it anyways yeah it's it's a pretty good stephen king movie it's one of those it's funny because sometimes they come back is about revenge ghost which is hilarious given the fact that's what freddy is basically yeah so. kind of sad we didn't get to review that and ghost season a little bit because i don't know it, it, i can't see it fitting anywhere else uh we've talked about doing a king season stephen yeah king himself so it would definitely fit within that that realm it's got every king trope you could imagine greasers yeah. 50s references i mean uh the man is a product of his time uh, yes kim myers is playing lisa weber uh, jesse's girl <laughs> shut up <laughs> i wish i wish i had jesse's girl uh <laughs> Uh, she was in Hellraiser Bloodline. Was the only other horror movie to her name, though. Um, Sydney Walsh is playing Carrie Hellman. Uh, she was actually in Point Break with her boy Keanu, uh, and then Twilight Zone uh, in the nineteen eighties version. She was in one episode of that. And then we have the uh, illustrious Clue uh, Gulliger uh, playing Mr. Walsh, uh, who is mostly known for his great role in Return of the Living Dead. Uh, he was also recently in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he was in the Feast trilogy, which we will cover at some point in Creature Feature season. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, I didn't mention it last episode, or last part of this episode, but um, my favorite thing Freddie related is that in 
Critters 2, which will also be, you know, creature feature season. Uh, there is one of the characters can, it's an alien that can change his physical form. And he goes through most of the movie without picking one. And the one time he decides to pick a form, he's standing in front of a cutout of Freddy because both, you know, Critters was a new line movie. Yeah. And he starts to change into it. And then like, uh, Ugg walks, or I mean, uh, Charlie walks up in front of him. He's like, no, 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 you don't want to be that. And he like holds the pin up in front of him. So he changes back to a hot female. So. Yeah. <laughs> It would just been really cool to see uh, actually Robert England pop up for like a split second that movie just to play that part. But um, synopsis: uh, Jesse is going through changes. He is finding that the man within him just wants to come out and satisfy urges that he is unwilling to admit that he has. Uh, will his caring but naive girlfriend be able to help him, or will Jesse have to keep a part of himself buried? deep within so that he doesn't become ostracized from all the normal people around him. Uh, school buses or rides to living hell, poolside barbecues become a death trap, and gay sexual innu- innuendo abounds in this movie. Yes, lots of burnt weenies in this, too. Literally. <laughs> Literally, of all kinds. Uh, body count, significantly higher than the last one. Ten people counted, 14 non-counted. Nice. We have Coach Schneider slashed across the back with finger knives. Uh, Ron Grady is stabbed through the torso with finger knives. Uh, pool partier one is slashed. Pool partier two is boiled. Uh, so is uh, pool partier three. Uh, pool partier four is burned. Pool partier five is trampled. Pool partier six is stabbed. And then the would-be negotiator, the guy who walks up, who's just like, hey, man, can I help you out? He is, for his, you know, uh, you know, uh, some good Samaritan ways is slashed, thrown into the grill and then thrown into the grill. So uh, another burnt weenie. (laughs) And, uh, and then we have Carrie who is stabbed through the back with finger knives. Um, non-counted deaths in this movie are the two parakeets. Uh, they are eaten and burst into flames. And then Jesse Walsh, uh, has an unknown fate at the end of the movie. And then so is Lisa. Uh, trapped on the bus going to who knows where out in the desert and possibly hell. I mean, uh, that ride looked so fun. <laughs> With Freddie just laid on the gas and yeah, you know, uh, do you see that bus town? bouncing? Dude, that shit would have been legit. They should have made a ride out of that. <laughs> I, that is definitely something I could see. Uh, universe based upon the the ride that they have, uh, both King Kong, at least in Orlando, King Kong and uh, the uh, Fast and the Furious, which is literally you just being on a bus and it bouncing around. The, the Freddy version of that would have been so much cooler. No. Quotes, uh, Lisa, uh, speaking to Jesse, Jesse, who's doing this to you? Uh, it's Fred Krueger. He's inside me and he wants to take me again. Yes, he does. Hmm. Lisa, no, no, Jesse, Jesse, this is not happening. It's not, it's got to be everything you've taken in. <laughs> Schneider, the diary, the glove, only it's all mixed up. And then Jesse's like, Christ, what do I have to do to make you understand me? Last night, he made me try and kill my sister. I'm, I'm deliberately putting these quotes in here, folks, because if you can't read the, it's not even subtext at this point. If you can't read what or listen to what I just said and get out of it what, you know, is coming across, then I, I, there's no help for you. I don't know. Let me spell it uh, out for you. Freddie is the gayness trying to make its way out <laughs> and in. In and out. Uh, how did they fit the diary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did and how did in the glove? I mean, yeah. I hope he took the knives off. That's yes. all I'm going to say. Uh, Lisa Weber, uh, I wish you would talk to me. You know, we can figure it out. We can figure it out together. Jesse, there is nothing to figure out. And then Ron butting in with a mouthful of food. I don't know why you're wasting your time with this guy. He's a basket case. And then Jesse, of course, running back. Shut up, Grady. You know? Yeah. Um, and then Freddie runs uh, the knives of his gloves over Jesse's head. Not that head, though, folks. Uh, <laughs> I need you, Jesse. We've got special work to do here, you and me. And then he slams Jesse against the wall, slowly tilting his head to him. Uh, You've got the body. Takes his hat and digs his own fingers into his skull, and I've got the brain. Which is a lyric in the Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jazzy Jeff song. Uh, But look at the context of that scene. I know. You've got Freddie caressing Jesse. He, and he's telling you, he's like, I need you. He's yes. like, and you've got the body. And it, oh, my God. Uh, Jesse Walsh. Hey, Grady, do you remember your dreams? Ron Grady, only the wet ones. Yes. That was funny. <laughs> and then they got in trouble again. and ha- Or no talking. 
Like, oh my God. And they didn't even, that was like not a scene that was even needed. And, but yet they still kept it there. Exactly. There was no reason for that. There was, there was a lot of that in this movie. The two of them sweaty, hot, just yeah. out together, like, mmm. <laughs> Lots of butts of in this scene. movie, guys. So there's no, I guess you can count best boobs in this movie because we do get really good side boob in this. Um, I've, I've got a best booze for this when okay. we get to it. Okay. But, but, but it's not what you're thinking. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, well, well, I, I had one too. Well, who, was, who was the side boob in this movie? Was it's, it Lisa or? Yes. Okay. Because uh, when, they're, when they're not quite doing, you can tell his gayness is getting to him and he's not even keeping it up. So, and he walks oh, away yeah, from the sex. Oh, yeah, when they're rolling around the floor. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, we get some decent boob. But there's more than anything in this movie, you can pick out a best butt scene. Because there's a lot of butts in this movie. A lot of guy butts. A lot of gay butts, okay? Mm, yeah. 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 And I might throw that in as like a little side thing when we get down there uh, <laughs> to that point. Down there. <laughs> but I'm... But I'm... Uh, Lisa Weber... Sometimes when I'm lying here in bed, I can see Glenn. She's quoting from the Nancy's journal. I yeah. can see Glenn in the window across the way getting ready for bed. His body is slim and smooth, and I know I shouldn't watch him, but that part of me that wants him uh, wants him forces me to. That's when I weaken. That's when I want to go to him. Jesse, uh, immediately, can I see that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no context there, folks. Begins to read the next page in the diary. March 15th, he comes to me at night. Horrible, ugly, and dirty. Under the sheets with me. Tearing at my nightgown with his steel claw. <laughs> Turns real hard. <clears throat> Carrie. Hi, Ronnie. Uh, so going to Lisa's house tomorrow night? Ron Grady. Nope. Can't. I'm grounded. Carrie, how come? Ron Grady. I threw my grandmother down a flight of stairs. What the fuck? <laughs> I did not catch that. Uh, Ron Grady, I'm just going to go ahead and say it is the best side character yes. in this movie for sure. He, if it wasn't for him, this the, this movie would be missing a lot. Yeah, so. and he wasn't annoying like some of the side characters t- tend to be, in my opinion. Sometimes, no. Um, there's actually an argument that I mean he he helps the movie and and not just being like the comic relief, but actually being an emotional sounding board for Jesse. Yeah, you know, at times. Yes. Um visuals for this movie getting into the movie review of it um they're the deaths in this one are not as inventive because they're in the real life um the one thing that is cool though and this visual always sticks with me so i have to give this credit and and sound it out and give it give it its due that bus scene at the beginning of the kids are trapped on the bus and then they get like and then the sinkhole appears and they're like teetering on like the two columns above like a hill pit or whatever <clears throat> I had nightmares about that as a child. Wow. It's so bad that I couldn't even remember what movie it was from. I, I must have seen this on late night TV or something and then like and then and and blanked out everything but that. But for years I would have a dream where I was on a school bus that was like and it was like about to fall into the pits of hell and I never could figure it and when I watched this movie again like years later, I'm like, that's where that fucking came from. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was pretty well done. I mean, yes, you could tell it's from the eighties, but can't fucking you can't beat something for being in the generation it was in i'm sorry no and i mean given the the budget was only three million the visuals are very impressive on that bus scene i have to admit yeah oh my god it it was a i mean there's two bus scenes and i'm gonna just say it right now pretty fucking enjoyable (laughs) beginning and end they're kind of yeah they book in the movie uh, another thing that I give them visually, the scene, cause this movie plays out almost like a combination between a possession movie and a werewolf movie, mm-hmm. which is funny because that, whenever I was watching this and given the, the, not even the subtext as we've discussed the movie, there's this meme that's out right now and it says something about werewolves come out at night. And it shows this picture of this werewolf or, or out under a full, they come out under a full moon. And there's a picture of a werewolf in the next little still of the meme that says, I'm gay. Oh my God. <laughs> but I mean, like the scenes of this movie where like Freddie is literally ripping through Jesse's body is actually very well done. Yes, like, it is. As far as, um, it, I would put it up there with some of the best uh, werewolf films as far as like, you know, somebody like, you know, inhabiting or, you know, like bursting out of somebody's body or whatever. They actually chose I saw two when he was coming out of his body <laughs> um, <laughs> that they had really good camera angles. So they showed just enough. And it's basically Freddie pulling the rest of his upper body 
off of him so he can make his way out. And it was just the perfect angle to where it looks like he was crawling out of the body. But realistically, he just had a prop on him that he was just basically tossing off of him, which is great for budget, but visually very well done. Yeah, it 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 doesn't look you know real. It doesn't look hokey. It's I mean it's it's effective in what it's trying to convey, whether <clears> the subtext or whatever's there or not. Yeah. I mean it 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 is. Uh, the one weird thing in this movie, but it still looks cool, are the demon dogs with the baby faces. Yes, <laughs> the two good when boys. Go, <laughs> with the two good boys, <laughs> with the baby faces, like when they're going to investigate where the boiler room used to be at. Yeah, it's like it's. It's really weird, and and, and it's it, I don't know what's why it's there necessarily, but it is a cool visual in this movie. It is a cool visual, um, and it was funny because uh, when I saw the two good boys, I was like, well, first off, they're good boys because they didn't attack. Two, you could tell that these dogs were like, get this fucking mask off of me. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? It and was the mask almost looked like that uh, the, the Valentine yes, mask from that movie. Cup- that the we Cupid, yeah. Um, one weird thing about this movie visually though, is that it is shot during, there's so many daytime scenes in this one and they are not just daytime scenes. They are washed out daytime scenes. Yeah. Like it is like the highest point of like, and, and there's, and that's during the scenes where the the Ron and and Jesse are both sweating and there's that whole thing. (laughs) But like, there's a lot of sweating men in this movie. I'm just going to throw that out there. Sweaty and mostly naked men. True. Um, and, and they're, and they're out in the, and it's like, you can tell this was like, I mean, it's got that look of being in the hottest time of like a California, like, you know, day or something like, yeah. it's just completely like bearing down on you. It's the point it's washing out a lot of the, the, the colors of the scenery around it. And it's an odd look for a horror film. Um, the movie doesn't really get color back in or like a huge amount of color into it until like, like the nighttime scenes or like the, in particular, the uh, barbecue scene itself. There's a lot of deep blacks and reds in that yeah. scene, but like there's, and, but the rest of the movie feels more like bluish and washed or like bluish as far as the sky and then washed out. You know? Yeah. It feel like, it feels like it had a softer lens, which was kind of weird because it almost made it feel like everything was a nightmare in this, in this movie. Yeah, that's true. And then, like, even the scenes where Jesse is at home with Clue as his dad, you know, uh, uh, and then they, they had almost like a uh, an 80s sitcom look to them yes. in, that, in those scenes. <laughs> um, the And the parakeets were just ridiculous. Like, I that mean, was I, funny. I don't, I don't understand the point of that, but we'll get into that in the trivia a little bit. Uh, I know that they were trying to make it seem like this, this house was a boiler room itself. Um, so this is, that's what I was getting from it. And animals, specifically birds, too, if they get overheated, birds are some of the fucking most temperamental creatures. Like, there's certain smells that they can't have. Um, They can, if they eat carpet fibers, they can fucking get super sick. And, like, there's all kinds of weird things. They're very, I don't know, there's a reason why they're supposed to live outside, honestly, which is weird because it's more dangerous for them out there. But, actually, it's more dangerous for them being caged. But, yeah, if it gets too hot for them, they do fucking go psycho. So... I could see that because it's the whole canary in the coal mine thing or whatever, because I mean, they're way more, they respond to changes way faster than we do. So they're like a good, like litmus test of what what the environment's doing. Uh, Story in this one, there is, this is, there's a reason that this has gone on to become like most, uh, like, you know, like for the gay community, like one of their anthem movies, (laughs) there is, there is no better, uh, example of a man having to live like his be closeted about what he is than this movie. Yeah, like, that is literally what this movie boils down to. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all throughout the movie. There's there's a gay BDSM club in the movie. Uh, Jesse, like whenever he's interacting with his girlfriend, like she's she's not getting him. <laughs> he's, it's he's not like he's not really into her. He has he has more chemistry with Ron yeah. than he does with her. Uh, the coach has this weird thing at one point in the movie where it's it's almost like he's getting ready to rape Jesse. It's like there's a lot of 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 this going on, and and I swear to God, like the writer for this, Chaskin. Uh, there's quotes from him, and that's the whole reason, that, and, and I'll get into that here in a few minutes, between him and, and the actor, uh, Mark. Uh, there was so much bad blood between them for years because he asked him point blank, he's like, why did you write this character this way? Because, the, see, the thing was, just give a backstory on this, Mark Patton, this was at the height of the AIDS scare. 
Like they didn't know what caused AIDS. They only knew that it was associated with gay men. And so Hollywood was doing everything they could to disassociate with gay men. Like if you were a gay man at this time, you had to hide it. Yeah. So uh, being in the closet was something they had to be to keep their jobs. And so poor Mark Patton, who is very much gay in real life, gets this movie where he, as he's going along, he starts realizing what the movie's really saying. And it's telling the whole world. It's like, He's gay. He's gay. He's really, really gay. And like, he's like, this is what, and he goes to the guy and he's like, why did you write this? You have outed me like through the use of this movie. And Chaskin's like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing gay about this. I don't even know what gay, what, I don't even know anything about that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You tell me as an outside, you know, observer, uh, Urena, is there any way that the guy who wrote this didn't have some inkling of like the gay lifestyle? Cause it is all through this movie, like every bit of, it. and not only is it, I mean, why well, I don't want to, cause I'm not gay in any way. Um, but like, <sighs> well, gay people like this film. You said you've already mentioned that this is like their little horror film anthem. If you will, it is. They 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 rally behind this movie okay. because they say that it 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 the I mean it it it's, it gives them re, you know like that whole thing now about representation. But this movie really does give representation to that community because it is about their struggles, yeah, especially ones that grew up around this time and had to be closeted like Jesse was in the movie. So with that being said, I think it's safe for me to say that this comes off. Everything about this comes off so gay and the struggles that a gay person goes through, you know, um, it's just it's so blatantly. And like this guy, if he thinks he doesn't know what gay is, maybe he actually was gay. I'm wondering if he was a closeted gay himself. And this was how he let out some of that fucking steam. Yeah, because there, there's no, I agree with you 100%. There's no way that somebody wrote this with this much subtext. Just, I mean, to the point it's not even subtext. I mean, even the the, the actor who plays Ron says that now. Like, I mean, there's, uh, I watched, uh, there's a documentary about Mark Patton called uh, Scream Queen, you know, and it's I mean in a different way. Uh, my, my personal nightmare or something like that is where my own nightmare, I think is what it's called. And he goes on about like this, about how his life was affected by the fact that, you know, this movie outed him at you know at a time when he really was trying to keep that hush hush yeah and uh and his animosity toward the writer for you know this uh and 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 he had reasons for it because the writer at the time said i don't know what you're talking about with this gay subtext like because even then people were like pointing it out yeah and um and then later, now that it's caught on with the gay community and they're championing this movie, he's like, of course I wrote it in there. You know, like he's flipped 180 degrees and saying, "I, you know, it's like I was trying my best to represent, you know, your struggle. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. It's like, you well, know, you can if you're bi. <laughs> well, I guess you can in that sense. Uh, but but the, what I was circling back, the actor who played Ron was like, he's like, dude, he's like, this movie is like, I mean, it's not even subtext. It's it's there in front of you the entire movie, you know, like there's not an ounce of this movie that's not in, in service of that message, basically. It's never <sighs> been more appropriate to shout gay at a film <laughs> than watching this film and seeing everything that was going on, which, by the way, I need you to explain to me and maybe semi break down how the fuck what did I miss I missed something I know I walked away for a second I think to um to get a glass of water which was literally just seconds away so I feel like I didn't miss much but then when I came back I feel like I missed so much what happened that he ended up at the gay club that the teacher was frequenting and why did the teacher take him back to the fucking locker room what happened that's the best part of this movie because there's no, I thought it was a fucking nightmare because literally, you know, the scenes up to that point, it shows that basically the whole entire house is becoming a boiler room around yes. Jesse and the family because they're living in Nancy's old house yes. and Freddie's re-manifesting himself. So, uh, uh, Jesse, uh, wakes up in a, in a drenched and in, in sweat, you know, again, another sweaty male in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, and 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 his and he just goes straight from his home, wanders the street, and goes to the gay BDSM club. There's okay. no provocation, no reason given. He just goes straight after he's hot and bothered. He goes straight to the gay BDSM club, and then he's that right found there by is, yeah. That, that that removes it from subtext. It's it's right there in front of you. It's at that yeah. Point. Okay, good because I'm like that's what I thought that happened, but I seriously thought I missed something. Now the teacher finds him. 
teacher finds him, sees that he's pouring, uh, he's, he's allowing somebody to pour beer for him. And, and, and he stops him. He stops Jesse from taking a drink because Jesse's underage. Yes. Uh, but then there's that whole creepy thing. It's like, all right, deviant, you're coming back with me. And he's in total BDSM gear when yes. he says this, because they've already set up early in the movie that he's been caught at a gay BDSM club. Grady mentions it, I think, or somebody yeah. around You're that. just his type. <laughs> yeah. And and so he takes him back to the school gym, of all places, yes. and has him run laps in front of him, getting sweaty again. And then he's like, take a shower. Yes. Like, it's and, and weird. Then, it's and and then and then he it's just like i mean you're seeing it and you're like i don't know how anybody watched this and didn't pick this up like i mean i know as a kid i didn't because you don't think of that thing but you know like literally all i remember from this movie straight up whenever i was a kid uh is uh the bus scene that's all i've <laughs> ever remembered from it um which is good well either that or you were tormented by uh gay guy butts so uh, you were like I no i don't know um but then, like, you know, watching it upon, like, you know, knowing all this stuff, I'm just like, oh, it is right there. Like, yes. Everything. You know, there is, they're not hiding any of this stuff. Even, like, his girlfriend in this movie, she is, she is literally the definition of a beer, like, the kind yes. that you would imagine. She's, she's not, like, she's pretty but like not so pretty that like you know that she's a knockout and that's the the and she's very kind of timid and meek and that's exactly the kind of guys that end up being or or females and end up being like beards for you know like guys who are trying to struggle through and kind of come to terms with her you know like you know how they and it's just like even that services the the story in that sense you know yeah um i was almost worried for a minute so i'm kind of glad you mentioned that the guys or not the guys the gay people uh, do appreciate this film, which is good because I was kind of worried for a second because I was like, are they punishing gay people or mocking gay people in this film? Um, but then I'm thinking, well, no, because multiple people die, not just gay people. And 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 the other thing too is that Jesse is, is he is a strong final girl in a sense. I mean, he does, even though he's the one that's that's you know, fighting the demon, you know, that's within him and that whole thing. It's, I mean, he, 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 he is like, you know, he's wrestling with, <laughs> he's wrestling with that and, and throughout the movie and like he, and he is trying to, he's, he's struggling to fight the monster, uh, you know, just like any of the other, you know, uh, final girls in any other movie. So that, that's another thing that they hold up from this movie is that Jesse is a strong character that represents them, you know, yeah. um, because he's, you know, like he can't, he's clearly, you know, he, he's not like the other guys around him and he, you know, and all that stuff, but he, you know, but he's actually, but he's, he doesn't, you know, like let that, you know, uh, basically take him out of the movie like he yeah. you know he he's he stands up to it so they hold that up as an icon and the funny thing is too something that mark Patton was uh totally hor horrified by for years uh he actually gets celebrated for by now which is good for him uh by the the gay community is that dance sequence in the movie oh that, yeah that was funny that, yeah, that really weird game where he's like, uh, it's a gay dance sequence where he's sitting there and he's like, he's got like that rod and it's got yes. like, the, the, like pops at the end or something. And and he confronted the, the uh, Chaskin, you know, in the in the video Scream Queen. That's one of the best scenes in the whole documentary. He like he's he he they they agree to meet at Chaskin's house, and he asked him. He's like why did you let me film this scene this way? And he's, or he's like, and then Chaskin, now to Chaskin's credit, Chaskin's like, I didn't write the scene like that. He said, all I wrote was that you danced. Yeah. He said, that was the director that let you get, that, that did you that way. It's like, you know, he's like, he should have been the one that called you on that and told you, it's like, Hey, this is a little over the top. You might want to, you know, change what you did in that scene. And he said, and then Jesse, you know, comes to terms at that moment with that, with that point. And he's like, you're right. He's like, everybody on that set was telling me I did a great job. And he said, that's, that's on them, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it, you really feel bad watching that documentary from Mark Patton. Cause he, after this movie came out and he was completely outed, like, you know, I mean, cause even his like, um, 
um, his representatives, like his agency that, you know, they told him, he's like, uh, we told you that if you wanted to get any more movies, you had to play this character, Butch, and you didn't, and you can't do it. So you're going to be relegated to, uh, uh, to big, uh, characters of the side characters, basically in films going forward, the ones that are, you know, kind of like, you know, just like the flamboyant out there characters and, uh, and everything else going on at the time, he just he completely left Hollywood. He actually moved to Mexico, and that's where he he lives now. Like that, he completely left the United States. Wow. And, uh, um, and it was only in recent years that he's reconnected with any of this stuff. Like so, I mean, he it, it really. I mean, it, it's kind of tragic listening to it. Now, some of that was on him, and he admits it in Scream Queen. He's like, I, I let this get to me more than I should have. But at this, and he said, I should and. And, and, and the funny thing was, he mentions in the documentary, this is just, I mean, I'm just bringing this up for trivia and because it's interesting about all this. He was raised by a Southern Baptist father, uh, and his mother was a, a devout Catholic. So he was very, so he was in that kind of situation as a child where he was clearly gay. I mean, he even admitted, he said when he dreamed of like, instead of, you know, like the, you know, like being the knight that saves the, the princess, he said he was, he was the one saved by the king, not a queen, yeah. but king, and he was the one swept off his feet. So he's always been that way. Oh, uh, like, okay. And he said that his father uh, knew this about him, and they didn't, they didn't discuss it and never would, but his father still was, but never disowned him and still loved him. So yeah. at least he had that going for yeah. it, you know. Uh, but like whenever he got like, he moved to New York from then, this was in St. Louis is where he started out at. He moved to New York, got in the Broadway scene where he met others like him. And that really opened him up to all that stuff. And so then he, and then he took, and he said, of course, the first role he gets offered in Hollywood ends up being this. And, and it ends up being like the movie that's like yeah. at the time when you can't, you're not supposed to be. I mean, they even blood tested people on sets. That's how scared they were of AIDS. Like they, wow. you know, cause they didn't, they didn't know what was spreading. It. And then you had Fauci, you know, talking to that dumbass. Yeah. He actually came out at the time and said, if you live in the same household with somebody and breathe their air, you could catch AIDS. Way so, to go, Dr. Truth and Science. Yeah, Dr. Truth and Science, even back then, fucking everything up. So, um, and, and uh, and and at the same time, like AIDS was a big thing in that community because, like he mentions it, he said you literally. He said people talk about The Walking Dead now, like you know TV show, and he said we literally saw it amongst our oh, community. Yeah. He said he said one uh, year before you'd see them, they'd be vibrant, healthy. He said six months later, they looked like a skeleton, and then six months after that, you never heard from them again and assumed they were dead. You know? Oh yeah, not to mention the uh, bed sores and the <laughs> literally skin falling off and stuff. Oh, all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, he was actually his, his, his lover at the time that he made this movie was actually a very famous, uh, actor who was on, I think the little house on the prairie, I believe it was. And he, and he was dying of AIDS, uh, as this movie was being made. Wow. Uh, I believe is what they said. So it was a, big ordeal like the whole way around and you did not want to be labeled as gay or be associated with it and when they cast him in this role there's all that in the movie and then of course i mean something we'll bring up in this the the death holler awards he screams better than any woman oh my god in any film <laughs> in any film and and that scream more than anything was <laughs> what you know outed him i mean it it's really the, did it's the ned flanders award basically <laughs> But that, I mean, that, that all goes back to, the, like I was just saying, the, the wrap it back into the story. I mean, there's, there's all that, there's all that in this movie. Like it's, it's, it's a weird film in the sense that it's, I mean, it, I, I get now why the, you know, the, or I understand why the community, you know, the gay community like champions this film. Cause you couldn't pick a film that like better represented any of that stuff going on at the time than this movie. Basically what the uh, director said in this film was, huh. All this, but no homo. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and and it aggravated me because on the video, like, I mean, Mark goes to a convention, like the first one they've done, like, and and like, I mean, ever, I mean, with him there, it was in Florida, and it was this big convention, and it got him. The actor played Ron Clue was there, the one that played his dad, uh, Robert England, uh, his girlfriend in the movie, uh, and then uh, of, of course the director Jack Sheldon was there. And, like, he was mentioning, like, in an after event, um, 
which that's one thing I'll give Robert England credit. Robert England is the sweetest man outside of the oh, series yeah. because he's talking about like the struggle that he saw Mark going through at the time. And like he, you could, I mean, it's the most empathetic, caring individuals you could ever see just on his face. He was like, yeah. I felt sorry for the kid. Like he, you know, he's like, he said, I saw it as it was going on as we was filming it. And he said, but you know, it was there. And there, I mean, what could you do? You know, it was like, you know, that that's what they were paid to do was, you know, make the movie and he, and it played out like it did. But he said, he said he had friends that were gay and he said he, you know, he was, he knew that community at the time. So he, that's why he had a lot of empathy. And, and, and the, when the two of them met, they had a really deep hug or whatever. So like they're, I mean, they did get along even if, you know, there was all that bad blood otherwise. Yeah. Um, but he was at an after event and he was talking to the other actors and actresses and Jack Sheldon, the director was there and, and he's like bringing up this trauma that's going to affect him. And you, you can understand where he's coming from. I mean, of course it's, it's documentary about Mark from Mark's perspective. So it's biased in that sense. Yeah. But when Jack like stands up to him and tells him the things he does, he almost comes off as an asshole. It's uh, like, yeah. it's like, it's like you carried all this baggage because of your fault. It's like you could have let this go, but you didn't. And so it's your fault. You could have acted, you you know, and, and, and it's just like, and, and I don't, and Mark doesn't call him out on it. I mean, he, it, there is a truth to it to a certain degree, and he admits it later. But the way that Sheldon says it, I'm just like, dude, I don't know why you didn't get decked for, I mean, being that way. He was, he was more of an asshole to Mark in this movie than Chaskin, and Chaskin's the one that, you know, wrote it the way that, that it turned out being. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's it's interesting if anybody it's on tubi right now if you want to watch it the the documentary about this movie but it's it's a very interesting like backstory to all this yeah uh what do you think about the acting in the movie um a, a notch better than the first one um again kind of for the most part newer actors robert england obviously a veteran already at this point as so early in his career, but mm-hmm. everyone else were still, you still got that eighties teenager, new, new actor vibe kind of. You did. Um, I think, I think Mark stood out though. It was more, uh, I mean, of course there, you, you might be arguing art imitating life and that's the reason it was, but he had more of an in-depth, you know, way of his character than anybody else in the film i mean the guy who played ron was good but it was he was a comic relief and that's all he was supposed yeah. to be yeah uh, i feel like the flattest one in the movie is and I, i'm not meaning this in a benoptist type thing i mean she did have some boobs but like his girlfriend like yeah. she's she's kind of like the flattest actor in the movie like she's just kind of there yeah know? she well she she played her part well she basically just played a beard and i mean you you're like you know she doesn't get him but i think she does she's just trying to get past that you know like no that's not you here let me yeah. try to entice you out of this you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and the, it fits in a strange meta way. That, yeah. that's the way that she would be about it. Uh, the music in the movie is not as standout as the first one whatsoever. No. Like nothing stood out in the, about the music in this movie. No, I mean the only music I could think of that at the time that made sense was when we saw the Babyface Dogs, the two good boys. <laughs> really, and that was a very quick you know, spurt of music um, that carried on because that was a very intense scene all the way through towards the end. Um, I guess the bus scenes too. So I don't know, but like nothing that overly stood out. That's like, wow, this is amazing. You know? No, no, not like the first one at all. And you're right. The bus scenes had some, uh, you know, that stuff. One thing I forgot to mention that I thought was hilarious. Mark Patton, whenever he's talking about that dance scene, yes. he says he wished he would have did the uh, electrocution dance that, uh, 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 Crispin Glover did in Friday Part Four. Oh my God! <laughs> he said at least then he would be memorized for you know it wouldn't be the, about the gayness of how he danced, but just about how odd it was. You yeah, know? um, I did recognize the song in that dance scene though. Um, that was a pretty popular song. I forgot the title of it now, but um, I knew I knew the lyrics to the song so. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a pretty big song. That that was the one thing, but besides the dancing and that scene that stood out. So. Yeah, when I heard, it, I was like, "Oh, I didn't know that was in this movie. It's pretty cool." <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to say about the movie? I mean, that we won't. I mean, we'll get to more in the awards before we get into the trivia. Um, no, let no. Let's get into the trivia. Okay, so New Line Cinema originally didn't ask Robert England to return as Freddie and Crazy refused heads. to give him a pay raise. What? 
a stuntman was cast as Freddy at the start of production. After two weeks of filming, Robert Shea realized this was a terrible lapse in judgment, fired the stuntman, hired England, and met his demands. Good choice. <laughs> uh, England has stated that Freddy's Revenge is his least favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Uh, and yes. I can understand why. <laughs> Good. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think it's mainly because it, it, the continuity and like he didn't, he doesn't even really get to be Freddy in this movie. He like he's more like weird, like you know, homosexual vibes than he is like, uh, uh, I mean, pedophilic vibes toward Jesse than he is yeah. like actual like you know the charismatic like you know jokey Freddy or anything like that. Yeah, because he didn't um, even get. Well, I mean, actually, he did get a kiss from the girl. Freddy gets the girl in this film. He doesn't want the girl in this film, <laughs> which is. Um, I, you're right. Yeah, uh, I will point this out though. There are some. Uh, Nightmare fans who actually appreciate one thing about Freddy in this movie more than the others. He is the most vicious version of Freddy because he's he's more silent and he's and he's more about the kills than he yes. is in any other movie. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. <clears throat> uh, makeup effects artist Kevin Yeager uh, replaced David B. Miller, who designed the Freddy makeup for the original. Yeager only had a few pictures in the original film as reference, so he redesigned Freddy's look. Studying pictures of burn victims, he made changes to Freddy's look, namely by bringing out the facial bones. He said his intent was to make Freddy look like a male witch and Freddy, uh, and gave Freddy red and amber eyes to make him more demonic looking. And I do remember the amber or the red eyes in this standing out. So Yeah, um, I think he did a really good job. I mean, it was it was a it was way better, but again, I'm going to restate that. The first Freddy Krueger was pretty impressive considering what a small budget they had. Uh, something weird about that, though, meta-wise, that I just now thought about. He he made the bones like stand out more so that Freddy looked more gaunt in a sense to mm-hmm. make him more like witch-like. That's weird. That's a weird, like, almost like, you know, I mean, you know how like people look whenever they're wasting away from like you know AIDS. That's, yeah. that's weird that they they would go that choice and then everything oh. else in this movie the way that it is. You know, yeah, actually, <laughs> um, not mentioned by anybody. It's a weird coincidence that that would happen. Uh, well, song was added to the background music anytime Freddie was on screen, adding to the film's eerie dream feeling. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think we have that in our opening too. Our disclaimer. <laughs> Uh, had this film failed, a new line cinema might not have survived. The movie hit big enough to finally give the studio some cash flow. And in the following years, new line cinema rode the Elm street train to further successes, uh, had a hit with another horror series critters, yep. uh, cranked out John Waters movies, and then turned in, uh, to both respectable and profitable mini, uh, major during the nineties. However, all that was uncertain back when this film was being made. Uh, studio head Robert Shea micromanaged every aspect of the production, regularly confusing crew members by stepping over the line and offering orders which should have come from the director. Uh, that led to an understandably uh, uneasy relationship between Shea and Jack Shoulder. On top of this, the production was remarkably rushed, slotted for a November 1st, 1985 release date, when the first film had only been released on November 9th of the previous year. Damn. As a result, tensions were high, the hours were long, and the work was hard. There was a real time to stop. Uh, there was no real time to stop and second-guess the d- direction of the film. In the Never Sleep Again documentary, Robert England recalls several moments during the filming, such as the pull sequence when Freddy appears to teenagers outside of their dreams, where he struggled with playing the part because so much of it felt like it was going against the rules set in the first installment. I agree. Mm-hmm. I was very confused. And I, I understand that he's uh, using some young man's body. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, and that was explained to me by my hubby, but I was like, I don't get it. Like, is this Freddy? Because, in my opinion, it's a possession, and if mm-hmm. it's a possession, that means the kid look. The kids looking at this guy, they don't see Freddy; they see the kid. But they showed Freddy, so it's hard to know. Because, I mean, obviously there was the negotiator that was talking to him, like, "Hey, man, it's okay." He wasn't scared of Freddy, and at that point, he could have actually been seeing, you know, the kid that was possessed. And it would probably been better if they would have showed something like that, yeah. like a quick flash, and it looked like it was marked, but like with a glove or something. But yeah. they never actually show anything like that to yes. give you that that hint. So it's just kind of me kind of guessing at this point is that what was happening? Uh, I wish they had shown that because it would have made more sense. Because I'm like, why is Freddy going after these kids in real life? And Noah's like, what are you talking about? he's attacking through the kid. And I'm like, okay, but is he actually free? 
or is he just controlling the kid? So, yeah, because if you remember, there's one scene in the movie where uh, Jesse's laying there, and then like he sees Freddie like jump through a window and then completely disappear, and then Freddie automatically reappears yes. uh, a second later in full form. Yes, uh, and then then attacks the pool partiers. Yeah, so I has the confuses. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's see, Mark Patton, an openly gay actor, has amusingly stated that he sees himself as the first male scream queen mm-hmm. due to the combination of factors, including the film's homoerotic subtext, the fact that he was often depicted on screen, uh, on screen screaming like a girl, and because he viewed the character as a closeted gay man. Yas, queen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the line, you've got the body, I've got the brains, was Robert Shea's idea. Okay. Uh the film was extremely well-received in Europe as residents of those countries caught and loved the sexual overtones. This overseas popularity is what convinced producers to continue making sequels to the film. Whores. <laughs> this is the only film in the series not to use Charles Bernstein's original theme or a variation of it, which is what we talked about. The music does not stand out like yeah. the others. Boo. Uh, in an interview uh, featured in Search of Darkness Part 2 in 2020, Robert England states that he was fully aware of the homoerotic elements of the film and was enthusiastic about playing up these undertones in the on-screen interaction between Freddie and Jesse. Martin Patton says in Never Sleep Again, Elm Street Legacy in 2010, that he had to say no to some pieces of business, such as Freddie putting his blades in Jesse's mouth, that made him feel uncomfortable. Uh, good for you, you know? Yeah, and that just goes to show... I. Either between the director or the writer or a combination of both, they uh, you can't sit there and argue they didn't yeah. have something like that on their minds. And I mean, especially, yeah, someone that has to be careful about this, and that's so sad that he had to go through that, to be honest with you. Um, because no one that I know that, you know, whatever political side you sit on, nobody has any problem with anybody that's gay, you know? the no. um, great people you know at the they're they're at the end of the day they're people it's the ones that are that you question that they're really are gay and that they're not just trying to be relevant of some sort and using that as i don't know i guess like a way into some sort of relevance which i think is a fucking disgusting because there's people that have gone that really are truly gay and just want to be happy that have struggled and clearly this actor had gone through that and I'm glad that he stood up for himself and said, hey, look, regardless, he, he maybe not have been openly gay at this point, but he's like, I'll play this character, but I'm going to say no to this. And good for fucking you. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, there's, I mean, I'm glad that he set boundaries, even if, I mean, he didn't have enough, he couldn't, I mean, he didn't have the power at the time because he, I mean, he was literally just cast out of, you know, Broadway to do his first film. So he didn't have any leg to stand on with regards to demanding things to get some of the other changes made. But at least he stood his ground on that and was like, no, I'm not doing that, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> The dance scene was meant as an homage to Risky Business in 83. <laughs> uh, sensing impending embarrassment, Mark Patton was reluctant to film it, which resulted in being repeatedly postponed. It was initially stated, Never Sleep Again, uh, that Patton chore- choreographed the scene himself and told the filmmakers to just roll the camera while he gave it his best shot. Patton later changed his story in an interview with Without Your Head. He states, there's nothing Jesse does in the movie that's not scripted. If you look in the screenplay, it reads Jesse bumps his ass against the door three times and then uh, gets on the bed and pretends to masturbate. Uh, None of that was mine. Uh, While the scene has uh, haunted some of the involved parties for years, Patton says it enjoyed extended popularity at gay clubs at the time. No, that's so funny, which is... That doesn't necessarily have to be a gay dance. Now, the twerking, which was hilarious. I was dying at that. I was like, okay, that's funny. That's not typical for a straight male, whatever. But uh, the whole dancing with a stick in front, like he's pretending to jerk off or play with his wiener. The guys will fucking do that shit for no reason at all. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, there's nothing inherently gay about that. Yeah. You know, it's it's the more the ass grinding stuff that really set it off. (laughs) Oh, Uh, my God. Robert Russler auditioned for the role of Ron Grady as uh, on the last day of shooting Weird Science, and Robert Downey Jr. actually drove him to the audition. Wow. Drugged up, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., probably. Yes, a very drugged up at that time period. Heather Langenkamp was never asked to come back, and the producers never thought of adding her to the story. Uh, way to go, losers. <laughs> That's 100% the response to that. Uh, Mark Patton was the one who insisted to the casting director that he wanted Kim Myers to play the role of Lisa. Uh, it was her film debut. She was allegedly cast in the film due to her resemblance to Meryl Streep. Now, I can actually see that. She yeah. does have a Meryl Streep look to her face. 
Um, and it's funny that Mark was the one that picked her because that goes into the whole beard thing again. You yeah. Know, it's like, it, it really does. Uh, the school used in this film is also the same school used in the Karate Kid from 84. Oh, wow. Joanne Willette is one of the girls seated in the back of the school bus driven by Freddie at the beginning of the film. She appeared in the ABC sitcom Just the Ten of Us, uh, co-starred with uh, Heather Langenkamp. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brooke Thys, who was in the fourth film. So, uh, basically, you could say Just the Ten of Us was Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> Redux is what it basically amounted to. Yeah. <laughs> they had three actresses from different films in the series. Uh, get this. Michael J. Fox was considered for the role of Jesse. I mean, I can... Unable... Oh, God, sorry. <laughs> but he was unable to do his commitments between Back to the Future and Teen Wolf at the same year. I mean, I could see it, and I think he could play. I think he would have been able to play up the gayness pretty well. And there's nothing more that gay people love than gay for pay. Uh, you think that he would have? I, I think that it wouldn't have been. I mean, it wouldn't have stood out as much if it'd been from him, though. Like, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, it's good that it was from an actual gay actor. Yeah, if yeah. Ultimately, anyways. Yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt, John Stamos, and Christian Slater all auditioned for the role of Jesse. Uh, John Stamos ended up playing a character named Jesse in the TV show yeah. Full House and Uncle Fuller Jesse. House later on. Um, you know, they would have been too masculine. <laughs> and they would not have been, been able to pull off the Ned Lander scream. Uh, for sure, none of them would have. I don't even know. I don't think Michael J. Fox could have, to be honest, when it came to that. Yeah. So. Uh, Jesse has a hat and a separate green and red sweater in his closet, a reference to the fact that Freddy Krueger is possessing his body while he's sleeping. Oh, my God. Uh, Sidney Walsh was set to leave Los Angeles after several failed attempts to start an acting career. This changed after she landed the role of Carrie in this. Nice. Robert Shea wanted to play the character of Mr. Grady, but he but was convinced not to by the director. Um. The two leads were born on the same day before and after Valentine's Day. Wow. That's kind of cool. Robert Shea, at about around 32 minutes, is the S&M bartender uh, uh, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wes Craven refused to work on this film because he never wanted or intended for Nightmare on Elm Street to have a sequel and even wanted the first film to have a happy ending, as we said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So didn't like the idea of Freddie manipulating his protagonist into committing the murders. Ah, shut up. <laughs> Freddie is only on screen for 13 minutes in this movie. Oh, that's, that's a double the time. Double the time from the first one. Yep. The sequence where Freddie terrorizes the pool party was viewed by the cast, crew, and many fans as the most nonsensical part of the movie. It yes. was believed that it broke the rules set forth by Wes Craven in the first film, namely because Freddie was attacking people while they were awake. 100%. This is the only film in the series where he kills each of his victims outside of their dreams. Ooh. As Jesse transforms into Freddy, we see a quick shot of Freddy's eye staring out of Jesse's oh, open yes. mouth. To accomplish this shot, effects artists made a dummy of Mark Patton's head with a hole for Freddy's eye to look through. They then affixed this prop to a flat surface and had someone put their head into the opening. The only person whose head would fit was the girlfriend of special effects designer Kevin Yeager. It was the only time in the series that Freddy is portrayed by a woman, not counting the times he pretended to be pe other people in the dream world. That's hella funny. Uh, the scene where the possessed parakeet with a seat possessed parakeet was based on the film the birds uh clue Gulliger uh, had his eye injured during the filming of the scene and produ producers later regretted even putting in the movie as it was too goofy and i agree <laughs> with that yeah i mean I, I to me it served a purpose but if not everybody gets it and i don't know it's not <laughs> like it was super necessary uh, Robert Ressler, who played portrayed Grady, revealed when he watched the film in theaters with his dad, he glanced over during the character's death scene when he was banging on the door and yelled for his father's help, and his real dad was crying. Oh, that's pretty effective. Yeah, that that actually, when I was rewatching, I'd already read this, and when I was rewatching the scene, I, I kind of felt bad during that scene because I mean, it it's it's bad enough in the movie because he's begging for his dad to help him, yeah. Then, like, but then, like to know in real life, his own dad actually cried at that yeah. scene was. Uh, the film is the first time showing Freddy Krueger when he's amassed enough power, having the ability to warp or control reality. This is when he's not completely in the dream world, and he's able to go into the real world by, by, 
by possessing someone and or through mass uh, influence stemming from the fear of him. Notably during the final confrontation, when Lisa goes to the abandoned factory to save Jesse, she's constantly being bombarded with frightening images and put in a perilous situation that isn't real. Yeah. And in the film's original script, Lisa was possessed by Freddy and ended up attacking Jesse at the end of the film. However, it was changed where Jesse and Lisa's friend would end up being presumably killed by Freddy while sitting in between them on the bus with their fates unknown. Yeah. I like I liked the ending. Yeah, the ending was pretty good for and then it, it, it harkened back to the first film where it's like again the kids are being, you know, like driven off by Freddy this time in a physical sense as opposed to him being the car and then you don't know what happens to him. Yeah. Uh, Death Holler Awards. What do we think about Jesse Walsh as one of the primary final boys in any slasher series? I mean, he gets two awards at minimum in this, and that's obviously the final girl and the best scream. Uh, he's got the best scream of any final girl ever. Period. Yeah, period. I mean, like the ultimate. Like, I need an applause button because <laughs> Jesse, you win. Um, he, he and he fits the trope pretty well, like we've discussed earlier. I mean, he's you know, he, he the one thing that they mentioned that was it's weird the reason that final, I mean, they mentioned this during the documentary the reason that final boys are not a thing is because if you go back and you look at the context of what a final girl is, it's like they're you know, they're vulnerable, obviously, physically to you know, wh- whoever's attacking them, uh, more so than a, than a guy would be, and then also. There is a, a little bit of a subtext there where they, they usually take out the killer with some kind of phallic symbol, you know, a knife or something that mm. stabs into the body, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. And they said it's hard to sell that when, you know, a guy already, you know, it's like they're taking, they're taking the, basically they're taking the phallic symbol uh, onto themselves and then using it against the killer, whereas like a guy already has that. So like you're, you're losing that whole subtext. But I think that that one thing that, that, to Mark Patton's credit is that he makes, I mean, I don't know because where he's gay, he was actually gay or whatever. He's got that vulnerability to him that yeah. he sells that role, you know? Yeah. Where, whereas you don't get that from like somebody say like, you know, Bruce Campbell, who's, you know, he's a, he's a manly man, you know, like even, exactly. Um, well, I want to say too, I think that in this particular making Freddie kind of, I guess we're going on to slasher. Where you have closeted Freddy. He's closeted <laughs> yes. Freddy. I, I kind of need to scooch into that a little bit because I want to talk about how, you know, clearly lots lots of gay, not even undertones in this film. We'll say overtones in this yes. film. Um, they're clearly there. And and that's fine. This movie, totally acceptable for that. And I'm, you know, like, look, you got a gay community that has a film that represents them in the horror slasher genre. Awesome. You know, I think later on, though, the fact that they it's kind of damning that they made Freddy Krueger in later films an actual child predator, because it's one thing for Freddy to go after on the brink adult teenagers. Uh, Literally, I mean, they could be 18 years old for all we know. They're older teens, you know, and still creepy in its own right, whatever. But it's not children versus they made him a pedo. And not only that, but we also know that Freddy now is. He'll go for anything, you know? He's a bi Freddy. We can't even say he's a gay Freddy, you know? No, I mean, because, I mean, his whole thing in the this movie and in part three is that he's very overly sexual in, mm-hmm. in his overtones toward the females in the movie. And yeah. Then, like in this one, it's it's the complete opposite. It's he's, yeah. he's really like laying that on, you know. So to, we'll say by Freddy, but at the end of the day, technically in this film, it's gay Freddy. And then later on you have a pedo Freddy. And it's like, well, that's kind of, you're damning the fact that gays have mostly pedo tendencies and that's not true, you know? I mean, I guess. The, the the flamboyant ones do, the really out there ones, you know, aren't afraid to say it, which is insane, you know. Yeah. But I think that's kind of a little damning, but it is what it is. I know they probably didn't intend that, but who the fuck knows? I don't think they should have ever made Freddy a pedo type character. Uh, yeah, I think that was, uh, well, I think most people agree that's one of the worst decisions they made for the remake when yeah. they were going that route because... Even if if you wanted to try to make people accept Jackie Earl Haley as a new one, you're never going to do that with a pedo. I, yeah. There are pedos, like, I mean, prisoners don't have a lot of, uh, you know, morals or ethics, but yeah. that's the one that they do when yeah. a pedo was, like, introduced to a prison. 
they're generally shanked within days of being, you know, yeah. once they find out that's what they've done, the prisoners will do that. Yeah. Um, best kill in the movie for me was probably Coach Schneider because <laughs> the fucker deserved it. Yeah. He t- I mean, it's not the, it's not the, I mean, he's literally just slashed across the back. Yeah. That whole thing getting, you know, getting claws right down your back while you're turned around a submissive, you know, like tied up in a BDSM situation. That's a whole subtext on its own, but yeah. Getting uh, slapped in the butt by a rolled up wet towel. Yeah, yeah. Oh my but, God. Um, so funny. But of all the people in the movie, cause I mean, he represents something to the gay community too, in the sense that he is the alpha or the quote unquote alpha male that harasses, you know, gays in the, in the daylight, but then at night is, you know, Oh is, yeah. Is closeted himself, you know? Yeah. It's, it's its own subtype or whatever. Um, We've already covered best scream. Uh, I I think Jesse probably gets best scream for everything we do from here on out. Like I, when I heard yeah. the scream, I'm like, God damn that that that's a scream. Like there's no better scream than that. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, best Freddy quote: "Help yourself, fucker." <laughs> that's what he says. To the guy who's like comes up and's like, "Can I help you?" Yeah, need, you know. Uh, I mean, I liked you've got the body and I've got the brains. No matter what the tones were. <laughs> I would have included that, but I just like how he delivered it. It's just like, I mean, that's the one part in the movie where it's like closer to the Freddy we know. Like, yeah. You know, um, best side character, Ron, like he's, yeah. he's, he's pretty good in this, uh, serves multiple purposes, comic relief, but he, I mean, he really is like the, the, like the character that, that Jesse wants to come out to. Like yeah. really, <clears throat> he really is that come that out person. to and get into <laughs> well, the, yeah, yeah. Well, he actually does because he stabs the glove oh, fist, yeah, so there's, con- there's subtext there, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, best boobs, Coach Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't really. I mean, like, I was sitting there thinking about it. I, if we're gonna, you know, go into the gay, the the gay subtext yeah. of the movie, I mean, he is the one that is. I mean, in that scene where he gets his back slashed open. They're out there full display, you know, like those those moves that he's got going for him. So, and that that hot shower, I mean, it's about as close as you can get to the the inversion of the trope, you know. Yeah. Uh, you want to throw it in there for best ass? Like, which one do you want to throw in there for that? Um, well, <laughs> I wouldn't want to say best ass. We just got like a lot of gay butts showing, but I'd have to say Jesse's. I think it was a little more fuller, you know. All right, there you go. Uh, how annoying is the Doom Prophet? I don't really. Uh, Jesse's the only one in the movie that like keeps trying to tell people like there's something wrong with me, like you know. Yeah. And, but we've already talked about there's the subtext there and that uh, that whole thing too. It's uh, is there anybody else in the movie you can think of that actually serves even remotely close to a Doom Prophet in this one? Uh, yeah, Lisa, kind of because she's reading the book and she or not the book but the diary and she's like, oh, I think it's this, I think it's that. She well, and I guess she's not really being the Doom Prophet, but she's trying to. Um, she's being the beard. Yeah, she's being the beard and she's trying to stop the gayness. <laughs> so kind of her. Okay, I, I can see that. Although, like I still, like I said, I, th- I think Jesse, like trying in his own weird way to like come out, is yeah. like the only the really the Doom prop in the movie. He keeps telling people he's like, I'm, there, it's not right. Like I need help, and like everybody's just like, there's nothing wrong with you. Bury that shit. Don't mention it ever again. Yeah. Uh, dumbest moment to me, and this is this might be just due to the fact of of Freddy warping reality, but uh, Rod in real life not being able to open that fucking door. Like I don't understand. Like there, the only context I guess would be that Freddy like locked it. You know when he was like coming out of of uh, of Jesse at that point. But like there's no real reason why he shouldn't be able to get out of that room before he got stabbed. Yeah, that's true. I can't. Yeah, because I can't really think of a another. Dumb moment. I mean, one could argue, but it's not even a main character. Uh, the kids looking like they're falling into the boiling pool, but they're actually diving into it after they just got out of it, causing them issues where they were dying to stay away from oh, it. Oh, yeah, there is that scene. I, yeah, it's like, it's it's almost like that uh, I fall and I can't get up commercial, oh, yeah. like how cheesy it is. It's like, oh, shit, ah, you know, like just kind of like falling right back into it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. But, yeah, that was pretty... <laughs> 
That was just, those are, like I said, just throwaway characters. So it really doesn't matter. Nobody cared that they fell in the pool. But I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? They didn't have names. They didn't really have faces. I mean, and they didn't have them after they were melted off. But, mm-hmm. but, but I mean, it was, uh, yeah, they were just fodder. Is all they were at that point in the movie. I mean, there's a war- an award that we have to add because we don't always, I mean, Best Boobs is one of the slasher awards that we have. But we don't always get to hand out that award because there's not always boobs. Um, but we need to have a good boy award, you know, because we're getting a lot of good boys in these movies. And we have two very good boys at the end of this movie that do not belong in this movie whatsoever but they're there the the cherub face demon dogs yes the two little devil dogs i don't know what their names are we'll call them wes and who else wes and sean and sean there we go little wes and sean uh the two goodest boys in the film they they were there they were scary but they did not attack lisa so (laughs) um I think that, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, we'll, we'll give that to them because I think that's just hilarious that they're even in the movie. So Yeah, there, and that. when you look them up on the internet, which is why I could not find names because, yes, I did look up the two good boys. Um, nobody knows why they're there. They're like, this is the weirdest <laughs> shit. And it is because I felt bad for the dogs. So I'm like, these poor little fuckers want that mask off of their face. I'm waiting for part four whenever a dog literally brings Freddie back by pissing on his grave and then see if you give him the good boy award or if that's the bad boy uh, needs to have his nose rubbed in an award for that one. It so. was an accident. <laughs> uh, are you ready to move on to the, the final movie in this first segment? Yes. Let's move on to the, uh, the final of this, of the, well, of, yeah, this portion. And, and was originally meant to be the final of the series, to be honest. <laughs> Aren't they always? Well, yeah, but this one in particular. 